Today's scripture reading is taken from Genesis 1, verse 1 to 2, and 26 to 31, and Genesis 2, verse 1 to 3. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Verse 26. Then God said, Let us make men in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Genesis 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. May God help us to hear his word today. Thank you, Audrey, for reading God's word for us. Family and friends, if you have your Bible, this is a long passage uh, if you have a Bible, please uh, open your Bible and turn to Genesis 1. We'll be working our way through that for today. Well, it's really good to see you all, uh, even though it's over, virtually over YouTube. And I want just to bring you uh, some um, greetings, and I really want to wish you all hello, and my beloved family and friends in Christ, I want to welcome you all to this online live stream of our worship service. Grace Baptist Church, I hope that you are doing well, keeping well in the Lord in these challenging times. For friends who are visiting with us for the first and second time, we showed the URL and QR code for visitors' registration earlier in the service. They can also be found on our church website. I ask that you fill out your details and help us find some way to connect with you in these unusual times. Today, we start on the first message of a 10-part sermon series in Genesis 1-12 to titled Foundations. This series of messages aim to cover questions like who are we? Where do we come from? What is our purpose? What went wrong? How can we be made right again? And where are we going? 
Genesis gives us answers to these fundamental questions of life. And Genesis chapter 1 to 12 are foundational chapters of the Bible, helping us understand the rest of the Bible storyline. It helps us understand our place in our Creator God's plan, and we will realize our need for His grace to live for His glory. We may have different individual stories, but we all share in God's big story, which unites us with a, to a common, in a common identity and the purpose as His redeemed people, reflecting His image for His glory. So uh, we'll start on the first message today, and as we do so, let us pray as we prepare our hearts to hear from God's Word. Let us pray. Father God, as we approach Your Word, open our eyes to see Give us ears to hear. May our hearts sing as we perceive your goodness and grace found in Christ Jesus. And as we have, we have a clearer sight of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, we ask and plead that Holy Spirit change our hearts and help us to live lives that reflect God's image for your glory and for our good. Father God, we love you and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Where do I come from? Is there meaning to this life? We work, we study, we raise a family. Our individual stories playing out in this big story of life. Then afflictions and suffering come. Monotony and boredom sets in. And we ask ourselves, is there a point to all this? In the early days of the nation of Israel, as the people of God left Egypt and headed for the Promised Land, they also faced origin stories from the various nations um, of the Asian Near East, which competed for their beliefs. Each story sought to explain where do we come from? Is there meaning to this life? So Moses wrote Genesis, especially the early chapters, to put forward this unique Jewish-Christian origin story. And Genesis 1, 1 to 2, 3, which we'll look at today, tells us who God is and our purpose and relationship to Him. You know, in our day and age, the common grace of science and technology has done humankind much good. And some quarters have tried to use science to explain the ultimate reality of the universe and its meaning. This scientism or, or this philosophy of science has put forward its own competing origin story. And there has been much debate in recent years on the how of the origins and the processes which brought about life. However, I think that when Genesis was written, it wasn't meant to speak exhaustively about science. Rather, this chapter here, it was meant to address the why question of the original hearers. What is their purpose as a people? And what is their relationship to God? For those of us who have questions you know, among us, you know, I'll be glad to have coffee and conversations with you if you have questions about science and the Bible. But for today, I want to stay on the line of what the Bible says. What the Bible says in Genesis 1.1 to 2.3. Here we see God answers the questions of purpose and relationship. God is our good creator. He spoke 
and purposefully made all creation good. He established, he created life, established rest, and formed humanity in his image. We are then to find our identity as created beings made in God's image, reflecting the image of God. So my friends, turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 to 2, 3. There is really a lot to be covered today. So please keep your finger on the page as we work our way through the text. And you see the outline for today. This is what we'll cover. Verses 1 and 2, in the beginning, God created everything. Okay? And with His powerful word, God created the locations. And we see this in days 1 to 3. This is found in verses 3 to 13. The inhabitants, we see this in days 4 to 6. And this is covered in verses 4 to 25. And finally, God created human beings, His image bearers, uh, verses 26 to 31. And lastly, God completed His work and rested, chapter 2, verse 1 to 3. So let's, let's get started. You know, a good story starts with an opening that engages the hearers from the get-go. And Genesis 1, 1 opens with hand words that explodes across the page. Genesis 1.1 In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. At the very start of all things, there was only one God. God existed and He created. He possessed sovereignty and power and He made the heavens and the earth. Here, the heavens and the earth refers both to the highest and lowest boundary. So this is a way of saying everything. So it means everything. This means that in the beginning, uh, this refers to the beginning of uh, everything, and, and God created everything. Genesis 1-1 tells us that God indeed created everything in the universe. He affirms that He indeed, in fact, created out of nothing. There was nothing, and then there was a point when creation sprung into existence. And the effect of this opening ten words of the Bible was to establish that God, in His inscrutable wisdom, sovereign power, and majesty, God is the creator of all things, of everything that exists. And this is unlike the other Asian Near Eastern accounts of creation, with his myriad of gods. There is only one God. That's what the, uh, the Moses writes. There's only one God who is all-powerful and sovereign. And contrary to modern scientism, it wasn't random chance, but a personal being that created. Verse 2 goes on and describes the earth as being without form and void implying that it lacked order and content. And, and, and this, this reference to darkness over the face of deep pointed to the absence of light. And, and we also see the Spirit of God here hinting at the third person of Trinity, the Spirit of God was hovering. And, and this phrase creates this sense of anticipation. You know, it's hovering, almost waiting to, to, for something to happen. And this initial state of all things will be transformed by God's creative activity, which we'll see in the following verses, verses 3 and following. 
Now, pastor and author Paul Tripp writes, Humans are hardwired for awe. Our hearts are always captured by something. That's how God made us. But sin threatens and distracts us from the glory of our Creator. All too often, we stand in awe of everything but God. My friends, the first ten words of the Bible tells us that we have an all-powerful and sovereign Creator God. This should elicit from us a sense of awe. Something so huge, so magnificent. My friends, ask yourself, have I lost my sense of awe? Have I lost my awe of God? In what ways can I praise and give thanks for God's goodness and power? You know, I, I know pre-pandemic, many Singaporeans like to travel. You know, when we view the majestic mist-filled mountain ranges or tasted great food, a feast from God's creation, did we give thanks to God? And in these pandemic times, though we are faced with many challenges, have we praised God that we live in a country that has been reasonably successful with measures to control the impact of COVID-19 on our health and finances? When we read the words of the Bible that describe God's awesome work power at work and His goodness in the gospel. Have we praised, have we paused and praised and thanked God? My friends, have we lost our awe of God? In what ways can we praise and give thanks for His goodness and power? You know, when I, when I was a boy, I, I used to keep aquarium fish I know many of you think I'm a cat person, but I used to keep aquarium fish when I was a little boy. And I would love to go to the aquarium shop to buy some tiger barbs and neon tetras. But before I buy these fishes, okay, I would set up the fish tank. I would spend half a day setting up the fish tank. You know, uh, I would clean the tank and the accessories. I would wash the granite chips. And after I clean the tank and the accessories, the first thing I'll do is I'll put in the granite chips. Then came the driftwood after which I will put in dechlorinated water. And then I will install the filter pump. And finally, I will put in the water plants. And only then would the fish tank be ready for the fishes. There was a purposeful sequence and order so that I can uh, keep the fish that I bought alive and well. My friends, if you look at verses 3 to 25, we see... In this narrative account of the creation, we see God preparing His creation for the flourishing of life. And then, in verses, uh, specifically in verses 3 to 13, we see God preparing the locations. And in verses 14 to 25, uh, God creating the inhabitants. We see here there is a purposeful sequence and order to God's design over the six days of creation. And verses 3 to 5 records, give us, gives us the record of the first day. Okay? We see this in verse 3. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and darkness he called night. 
There was evening and there was morning, the first day. We see here creation exploded into existence with God speaking. We see there from the very start, at the first part of verse 3, and God said. And this phrase, and God said, begins each of the six days. And it occurs twice more, once on the third day and once on the sixth day. And God said this phrase is repeated a total of eight times. We see this in verse 3, verse 6, verse 9, verse 11, verse 14, verse 20, verse 24, verse 26. The author of Genesis goes to great length to repeat this phrase because he clearly wants to emphasize and connect creation to God speaking. He, he wants to demonstrate that God is all-powerful and God's Word has creative power. God speaks and things happen according to His Word and it was done. Imagine that. All God needs to do is speak and things happen. The Apostle John, reflecting on this passage centuries later, wrote in John 1.1, In beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John connects the creative Word of God in Genesis 1 to the incarnate Word of God, Jesus Christ. We see God's first act as He speaks was to create light. He separated light from darkness. This is on day one. He named the light and darkness and created a day-night cycle. And there was evening and there was morning. And at, uh, at the end of God's creative work day, there's implied night time for the workers' daily rest. And, and we see that the light was separated from darkness. Uh, we see in, in verse, and then we see in verses 6 to 8, the, the waters are then divided uh, to form an expanse on, on day two, which God calls heaven. And this heaven refers to what human beings can see above them. It refers to the region that contains the celestial lights and the birds. Celestial lights, which is mentioned in 40, uh, verse 14 to 17, and the birds in verse 20. And next, we see God organizing two further areas, the dry land forming earth and the waters forming sea. We see this in verse 9 to 10. And, and these are the last objects to be named explicitly by God. And then God instructs the earth. He calls forth the earth to bring forth vegetation. We see this in verse 11 and 12. Vegetation that which produce, reproduce after their own kind. You know, as we look at this, the creation of vegetation may seem out of place on day three. But this anticipates what God will later say in verses 29 to 30. Because uh, the vegetation forms food for both humans and other creatures. So we see here the creation of distinctive locations in days 1 to 3, along with vegetation. And this prepares for the feeling of these places in days 4 to 6. Uh, 4 to 6. At the end of the third day, we find that creation was ready to be filled with inhabitants. There is purposeful sequence and order to God's design. What we see next is day four to day six. 
And on the fourth to sixth day, God created and filled the location which He created on day one, days one to three with inhabitants. And we see on day four, verses 14 to 19, which corresponds closely to days and nights ordering on the first day. And we see the separation of light, which involves the separation of light and darkness. Here in verses 14 to 19, the author emphasized creating lights that will govern time and provide light upon the earth. We see this in verse 15. God ordained that the sun and moon uh, be in place to order and define the passing of time according to His purposes. And we see there, just in passing, God mentions the stars in verse 17. So in passing, God, God mentions the immense universe that is out there, the stars. But this is only mentioned here in a brief phrase, almost like an afterthought, because the focus of Genesis 1 is on earth, and the focus of the rest of the Bible is on man as the pinnacle of God's creation and the object of His great salvation. And having previously described the creation of the waters and expanse of the heavens, verses 20-23 now focus on how they are filled with appropriate creatures of different kinds, fishes, birds, etc. And as reproductive organisms, they are blessed by God to be fruitful and to fill their respective region. Finally, on day six, God speaks and creates livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth. Verses 24 to 25. You know, the Bible here it doesn't mean to be exhaustive. It's not meant to be exhaustive. It, it, here, the terms group the land-dwelling animals into just these three broad categories, probably reflecting the ways in which the original uh, hearers of this book the nomadic shepherds that was a nation of Israelite would experience them. We see the domestic stock animals, uh, sheep, goat, cattle, and perhaps camels and horses. We see the small crawling animals, rats and mice, lizards and spiders. And we see the larger game and predatory animals, the gazelles, the lions that was created. Again, this list is not meant to be exhaustive, but instead it serves to tell us as the hearers that the animals that we see around us, they too, are all created by God. My friends, as you read and hear the account of creation over the sixth day, besides God speaking creation to existence, you would notice God made a pronouncement. Just three words. It was good. This phrase, it was good, was repeated six times in verse 4, verse 10, verse 12, verse 18, verse 21, and verse 25. Therefore, we see not only God pronounces that, uh, God pronounced everything was good and orderly. We see all creation was running according to God's will and rule. But we also see, as God talks about it was good, it, was, it is almost an exclamation of delight. So God exclaimed, in delight. God took pleasure in His good creation. What we see is this narrative of God's creative acts over six days demonstrates God's purposeful sovereignty over His creation. His powerful word created and ruled over all creation. All creation 
is subject to and bows to his control. And we see that God is also purposeful. His creation over six days moves according to his plan and design direction. And this stands in opposition to the idea that creation is occurs randomly controlled by, uh, being controlled by impersonal uh, forces that modern uh, evolution seems to, to, to tell us. The Bible tells us there is purpose. And it also stands in opposition to the near Asian Near East creation myths where parts of creation are controlled by warring, opposing gods. This account tells us that all of creation is under God's purposeful control. And it was good. My friends, as we reflect upon this, this should give us great comfort. It tells us that God made all things and reigned over all creation, even a virus. My friends, ask yourself, in what areas of my life do I have to grow in trusting God's good and purposeful rule? You know, in this pandemic times, it's okay to be concerned about your health and finances, it's expressing wisdom, but have we been overly anxious and worried? God is in control of all creation. He rules over all creation. God is in control even over the SARS-CoV-2 virus and the pandemic. So my friends, trust and rest in God's purposeful sovereignty. You know, even as, as I preach this, this is something I had to remind myself in the last couple of weeks. You know, it's, we were moving along as a church even to the point where we could have congregational singing for nine months, we moved from phase two as we gathered to phase three as we could gather in, in larger numbers and we had more freedom. And then because of the recent spike in infections, things closed down. Uh, we are not meeting again. You know, and as part of the elders team uh, who was involved in the planning, I personally was affected. I was like, God, you know, we spent so many months preparing and reaching this point. Does it mean that everything is go goes back to to uh, square one, no? back, to, back to reset. I had to remind myself, even though things appear to be reset, God is still in purposeful, sovereign control of all things. And I can learn to trust God, even as we take steps again to open up, trust that God is in control and He has a purpose for this. Even though at this point, He may not be able to see it clearly. So my friends, Trust and rest in God's purposeful sovereignty. You know, perhaps it's an area of work or family or relationships that we struggle with. All seems out of control. Will you trust God's purposeful sovereignty? Will you trust that God has got you in this? That indeed everything, all of creation is under God's purposeful sovereignty. You know, uh, I used to, I used to like. I mean, I used to watch movies very often, uh, even before the pandemic. I, I must confess that I, I watch a movie maybe once every month, once every two months. You know, I love movies with good storylines, with good plot lines. 
And as you watch movies, movies with good story ultimately will culminate in a resolution. You know, perhaps the hero will finally have victory in a big battle over his enemies. Or, or there's an anticipated plot reveal and it finally comes. We see in verses 26 to 31, this is the resolution of this, this uh, narration, creation narration. This is the climax of the creation narration. And, and we see that this is by far the most extended section given over to a particular day, indicating that day six is the peak of the author's interest. And you realize this is the section in which at the end, God proclaims it was very good, verse 31. So this section here, serves as the climax to this story. So we ought to pay closer attention to this, to to what it says. And what does it say? We see in verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We drop down to verse 31. And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Verse 26 tells us that God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. You know, the text here does not specify the identity of the us mentioned here. But many Christians, many Christian Bible teachers have taken us here to be God speaking to Himself, since God alone does the creating, the making in Genesis 1.27. What we see here would be the first hint of Trinity in the Bible. Okay? Man, was, man was created in a way that reflects the imaging relationship between the persons of the Trinity. And verse 27 continues and tells us that God created man in His own image, in the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. What does it mean to be created in the image of God? What it means is this. Man or humankind, unlike animals, is like God in a series of ways. We, we are like God in our moral qualities, in our love, goodness and kindness, in our intellectual and creative abilities, and in our capacity for relationships. And it's this very likeness that allows mankind to represent God in ruling over creation and establishing worthy relationships uh, with God and with one another and with the rest of creation. Okay? This image and this dignity applies to both male and female human beings. And what we see here, we see the uniqueness of humankind. Humanity as a species is set apart from all other creatures and crowned with glory and honour as ruler of the earth. We see this theme again uh, repeated in Psalm 8 verses 5 to 8. However, 
even as we look at this beginning, in subsequent messages which will cover the events that, will be, that is recorded in Genesis 3, will have a significant impact on uh, humankind's creation status as humankind rejected God as sovereign king and fell into sin, bringing the curse of sin on all creation. And finally, in verse 28, as God blessed the sea and sky creatures in verse 22, He too blesses humanity. He blessed humanity and said, Be fruitful and multiply. What we see here is raising faithful children, children that are, that are faithful to God, is part of God's creation plan for mankind. God's creation plan is that the whole earth should be populated by those who know Him, His image bearers, and would serve wisely as what we call His vice regions or representatives. So when we read, subdue it and have dominion, you know, in, in modern day culture, we, we are influenced by our culture to think hush dominion. But what, what the Bible says here is as God's representative, humankind are to rule over every living thing on the earth. And this command is not a mandate to, to, to harshly dominate, to exploit the earth and its creatures. After all, Adam and Eve were created in the image of God, which implied God's expectation that human beings will use the earth wisely and exercise caring stewardship. So what it means when God tells us to exercise dominion is to exercise uh, caring stewardship over all of creation. And we see God's blessing to them, they are to be fruitful and multiply and to exercise this dominion. In short, humankind, we are to image God and create a God-honoring culture. And as the number of God image bearers who know God multiply, God's glory will be extended to the ends of the earth. So humankind, we, human beings, we are made to know and reflect God's image. And as more and more people reflect God's goodness and grace, God's image will be multiplied to all of creation for the glory of God. You can imagine that, right? It's like having um, uh, statues that are made that reflect uh, someone that it was made in the image of. As more and more of these image bearers are present, more and more glory is magnified uh, to the, uh, the one whose image they, they are they reflected on. But my friends, as we see later in Genesis 3, Adam failed and fell into sin. So Christ, as we see down the line in, in the Bible story, Christ came as the last Adam, to achieve dominion and perfectly reflect the image of God. And verse 31 ends with God proclaiming that everything He has made was not just good, but very good. And this comes after creating man and woman. So my friends, while many things do not appear good about this present day world, this was not so at the beginning of all things. Our coming messages in Genesis will explain why things have changed. But in the beginning, everything God created was very good. Creation answered to God's purposes and expressed His overflowing goodness. 
Thus, despite the curse of sin, which we'll see uh, will come in chapter 3 of Genesis, we do see that much of material creation, uh, the physical creation, still maintains God's goodness. Sin is a later intrusion into our originally good creation. It is not inherent in the world. And we find and we see the hope is that this sin will be removed entirely when God achieves His purposes when Jesus Christ returns. You know, again, as we read these verses, we need to think how these verses counter the Asian Near East beliefs. Okay? And if you look at the Asian Near East, the Babylonian, the Persians uh, creation story, uh, the, the, the creation myth that has humankind as somehow being sprung up as an afterthought, maybe from the bodies of God. But, but what Genesis 1, 1 to 2, 3 tells us, that humankind, men and women, we are purposefully created to image God. And against the modern-day uh, scientism idea that humankind was created by an impersonal force, uh, by probability and chance, what Genesis 1, 1 to 2, 3 tells us, that it is a personal God that created us. It was a personal God that created man and woman. And what this means, my friends, is this God, this Creator God, has Creator rights. And He requires that we reflect His image for His glory. So my friends, ask yourself, ask yourself, how have I reflected God's image in the way I live this past week? In your relationships at work, in, school, in your school and in your family? Have you treated one another with goodness and kindness? Have you showed compassion, forgiving one another and seeking reconciliation? Have you pointed one another to Jesus Christ in your conversations? Jesus Christ, who is the perfect image of God. What about us as a church? Ask ourselves, how have we as a church this past week Help one another image God. You know, in this COVID-19 pandemic times, where we need to practice social distancing, church, I, I must tell you that I really miss the simple conversations that we have with one another after church service where we, we could still fellowship. And I, I grow, I'm going to realize the benefits of simple conversations with one another of speaking truth and expressing love to one another in the church, you know, after our church service, as we gather over coffee. And I'm not talking about Bible study here. Bible study is good. I'm talking about simply talking and catching up as Christian brothers and sisters with one another. So Grace Baptist Church, do not neglect this simple means of grace, of ordinary conversations. Pick up your phone, call Someone, call one person from church this week just to talk or text message to catch up. And as you do so, encourage one another. Point each other to Christ because He's the only hope that we have. And spur one another to continue to be faithful, to continue to reflect Jesus Christ in our lives, in our relationships, and in our relationships. After working overtime and completing a meaningful piece of work, 
Now, I like to rest and reflect and delight in work well done. Okay? It is good to have this pattern of, uh, this rhythm of working hard on something uh, that, uh, that to, for many of us uh, would be meaningful and then to take time after that to rest and delight in what we actually co- accomplish. And we see God doing just that in Genesis 2, verses 1 to 3. And Genesis 2, 1 to 3 brings to a conclusion this creation narrative. What do we see here? We see in these three verses, God had completed the process, has completed the process of making and ordering creation. And we see here the repeated command that God rested does not imply that God was tired. Okay? doesn't do that. Uh, it doesn't mean that. On the contrary, if you remember, God spoke and everything was done. It was easy for God. Instead, this, this pattern, this motif of God's resting hints at the purpose of creation. As reflected in various Asian Near East accounts, divine rest is associated with temple building. And God's purpose for the earth was to become His temple, His dwelling place. It was not simply to house God's creatures, it was to house God's presence. And we see God's activities on day seven. He finished, He rested, He blessed, He made holy. All fit into this pattern. So at the very start, this theme of the earth uh, uh, as, as God's temple starts. And we see this theme of temple, this temple theme, repeated in various ways through the rest of Scripture. Okay? And we'll see this as well uh, being developed further in Genesis 2, 4 to 25. As I said, this, this idea runs through the whole Bible. Because in John 1, in John 1, uh, Jesus himself is said to have tabernacled among us. Okay? Jesus is now the new dwelling place of God. It's a place where man can meet with God. And it comes to a climax in Apostle John's vision of a new heaven and a new earth in Revelation 21, uh, verse 1 to 22, verse 5. Finally, God blessed this seventh day and made it holy. This pattern of creation rest, working six days and resting on the seventh day is further extended when God gave the command for rest on Sabbath day at Mount Sinai for the nation of Israel when he gave the Ten Commandments. But Sabbath rest itself hints at something more uh, perfect. It hints at human beings entering into God's consummation rest. We see this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 4. And uh, Hebrews uh, uh, chapter... We see this in Hebrews chapter 4. And at the end, we find that Sabbath points to the rest that Christ achieved with His resurrection and ascension. And this will be fully shown to us, fully expressed in the new creation. Because true rest can only be found in Jesus Christ. At this point, I speak to my non-Christian friends here. You know, even as I, I talk about how everything, creation was originally meant to be, and you look around you, you're convinced that something is not right with this world. And in you, there's this desire that things ought to be made right. Somehow, innately in your heart, you know that 
there's things wrong with this world and it's not, this world is not what it's meant to be. Because God has written in your hearts this desire for creation as it originally was. Very good. And because of this broken world, you are restless and anxious in this world. But my friends, hear this. Even as you strive, as you struggle, Jesus offers you rest. Hear the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus Christ alone offers true rest, salvation rest. He came and died in our place on the cross for our sins. And he was raised to life to start the restoration of creation so that when he comes back again, all things will be made right. It will be just like how creation was created good in the first place. But even better, because God will now dwell with us. The whole of a new creation, a new earth, will be God's temple, and He will dwell with us. He will be our God, and we will be His people. Finally, Grace Baptist Church, remember that God is our good creator. He spoke and made all creation good. He created life, established rest, and formed humanity in His image. We are then to find our identity as created beings made in God's image and our purpose reflecting the image of God. Now, as Bible teacher uh, William Van Gameren writes, Jesus Christ, however, as the second Adam, fulfills God's image-bearing purposes and enables God's people to do the same. The Apostle Paul speaks of the light of the glory, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. In 2 Corinthians 4.14, you know, making an allusion to Colossians 1.15, which we read as the call to worship. Jesus is the image of God that we are intended to be. And, we, and as we are united with Jesus by faith, when we trust in Jesus Christ, God sees us as His children, clothed in the righteousness of His Son, to whom we are conformed in righteousness and holiness. Through Jesus living a perfect life and suffering the penalty for our sin as the perfect God-man, Jesus provides for us this opportunity to be renewed in the image of God through faith in Him. Thus, those of us who are joined to Jesus again becomes God's true image-bearing participants in God's rule over the earth. Finally, fulfilling God's original mandate to multiply and make manifest God's goodness and glory in all the places that His people dwell. My friends, as God's goodness and glory in Jesus Christ is extended and made known among the peoples, May we give thanks and praise and may we join in with all of creation to praise and give thanks to Him. And we'll do just that as we close with our closing hymn.
Allow me to just read two stanzas from the hymn. All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voices and with us sing. Oh, praise Him, Alleluia. Though burning sun and golden beam, thou silver moon and softer gleam, oh, praise Him, oh, praise Him, Alleluia, Alleluia. Let all things their Creator bless and worship Him in humbleness. Oh, praise Him, Alleluia. Praise, praise the Father, praise the Son, and praise the Spirit three in one. Oh, praise Him, praise Him. Alleluia, Alleluia. Let me close us in prayer as I invite the worship song leaders up and we'll have opportunity then to join with all creation to give praise to our Creator God. Let us pray. Father God, we are twice yours. Once by creation, twice by salvation. Your word not only created us, but also saved us. Father God, we pray that your word preached today will speak to our hearts and continue to change our hearts and conform us to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, so that we can image you, we can reflect you to the people around us. All this to the praise of your glorious name. Amen.